Being with Shivananda was sublime. But right now, I want to tell you about a drama in which both Shivananda and my friend Stephen Wyland figure as principals, but with me as the stage director. First of all, some of Shivananda's detractors were right. He no longer gave any spiritual talks, and he loved to tell jokes and cut japes, as the parlance of an earlier time would have put it. Now, Stephen was worthy of great respect, and his life was truly oriented toward God-realization. But although he had a wonderful sense of humor, in religious matters he was extremely serious, and therefore in that area, humorless. One day in Hardwar, he told me, Shivananda asked me a question the last time I was in India, and I can't understand it. I've been puzzling over it and puzzling over it, and I can't understand what it means. Naturally, I asked, well, what is it? And he told me, well, he asked me, what is the difference between ammonia and pneumonia? Oh, Stephen, I said, it's a riddle. I heard it when I was about eight or nine years old, but I don't remember the answer. But it's just a little kid's riddle. No, 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 said Stephen. I know it's got a meaning. It must have inner symbolism. No, I told him, look, it's a joke. It's a riddle. But he wouldn't believe me. So I had to take matters in hand. Satsangs with Shivananda were extraordinary. He had quit giving talks so the superficial and serious seekers who thought they were dedicated to seeking wisdom alone would go away and leave only those who loved him and knew he loved them. Although there was a minimal order to the morning and evening satsangs, most of it was like the parties given when I was young in which a kind of punch board was passed around and each person pushed out a tiny, tightly rolled piece of paper on which a stunt of some kind was printed. Each person had to do right then whatever the paper said. Well, in satsang, Shivananda would just point unexpectedly to a person and say, give a short talk on the Gita, or sing us a song, or recite stotras. Stotras are verses in praise of a deity. He said to me early on, Stand up and tell us what you have learned here in India. So I did. When I was done, he said, Very good. Now be prepared to give a talk every morning on some spiritual subject. So I was always prepared, but he never again called on me to, to talk. Don't worry, we're going to get to uh, Stephen in a moment. I want to tell you about another incident. One morning, a woman came with a camera and told Shiva Nandaji that she had some color film and wanted to take photos of him. Now, at that time, color film was extremely expensive, in India at least, and so was the processing, which in the entire subcontinent could only be done by one studio in Bombay, and it cost a small fortune. Shivananda suggested they go outside the satsang hall so the light would be better, and the rest of us stayed inside watching through the door. 
Shivananda walked to the far wall, sat down, and then told the woman to tell him when she was ready. She squatted down at one side and after a bit said she was ready. Immediately, his composed smile was replaced by a series of incredibly creative, funny faces. Each one, he insisted, she photographed. In my mind's eye, I can see it very, very clearly, even now. I doubt that she had the film developed and printed, but oh, how I wish I had those pictures. One evening satsang, Shivananda was in great form and had been especially funny, doing imitations, asking other people to tell jokes, and asking riddles, too. So when he was walking out of the satsang area, I pushed Stephen forward and whispered to him, Go on now, ask him, what is the difference between ammonia and pneumonia? Now come on, do it. Then I pushed him right out into Shivananda's pathway. So he called out, Swamiji. Shivananda stopped and waited. Finally, Stephen got it out. What is the difference between ammonia and pneumonia? In a very regal manner, Swami Shivananda turned and walked on as he said, one is in a bottle and the other is in a chest. <laughs> well, Stephen was devastated, chagrined, and astounded. An honored guest that evening uh, was a European princess of some kind who was laughing delightedly along with the rest of us. As Shivananda passed her, he turned and said solemnly, Long live Swami Shivananda Saraswati, and then walked on to his kutir. Stepping back a bit, back a bit uh, I want to tell you how Stephen and I began staying at Shivananda Ashram. First, we got a room on the east side of the Ganges, opposite the ashram. The only way to get back and forth over the river was by boats that did not, did not operate until just before the morning satsang at the ashram and stopped before the time of the evening satsang. So we were missing half of the time that could be spent with Shivananda. Now at this time he was in poor health. Before then, he would sit for hours in his office where he would talk with a constant scream of, stream of visitors, <laughs> made with laughter they screamed, and at the same time, he'd write book after book on spiritual subjects. Well, we realized right away that we had to move to the west side of the Ganges. So we searched and we found a filthy, and I do mean filthy, room at a small Rama temple north of the ashram. It was really a, being used as a storeroom, but it had two wooden platforms that could be used as beds, and that was all. One window that had no shutters opened on the street, and the weather was incredibly cold. And we were being charged a ridiculously high rent, literally equal to that of a first-class hotel in New Delhi. But it was all worth the misery and the robbery, to have more time with Shivananda. On the second or third day, in the morning satsang, in the morning satsang, Shivananda asked us where we were staying. When we told him about our situation, he asked why we were not staying at the ashram. When we told him that we had asked and been told there were no rooms available, and how much we were paying at the temple, 
he called for Shivadas, the guest master. A kind of conversation, but mostly a monologue, really, took place in very forceful Tamil, in which Shivananda was obviously laying down the law. Shivadas just stood there and said, Swamiji, Swamiji, frequently. Then Shivananda told us, you will move into Kailash Kutir's this afternoon. It will be made ready for you. And so we did. Later, someone told us that Shivananda had demanded why we had not been invited to stay at Shivanandashram. Shivadas told him there were no free rooms. Shivananda, who at that time was confined to his kutir, except for coming to satsas, then proceeded to tell him, you should be ashamed of yourself. There is a room in Kalash Kutir's meant for guests, and you're using it for a storeroom. You should truly be ashamed. These people have come across the ocean, and you tell them there is no room here. Then he gave a list of further vacant rooms in the ashram that Shivadas wasn't even aware of. That was his omniscience and, most of all, his loving heart. And so that was the way we took up residence at the ashram. Shivananda was not just omniscient. He possessed the greatest intelligence I have ever encountered. I mean this truly. His intellect was awesome. I'm telling you this because Shivananda had and has been considered by many people as naive and simple-minded because his books, all written in English, were very simple, of short sentences, and mostly of single-sentence kind of aphoristic style. A friend of mine in America had often laughed about Shivananda's statement in one of his books, Read Gita, read Upanishads, and attain Moksha. Sven thought that that was much too simple. So I was astounded when I first saw Shivananda. When he entered the room, not only was there a great spiritual presence, there was the entry of a colossal intellect that I vividly could perceive. You see, his books were not written for Westerners, but for Indians who had maybe taken only a year or two of English in school. And so he wrote in English because it was known throughout India and all government business, central and state, was conducted in English. So that was the best way to reach the Indian populace. Yet the English had to be very simple and very direct to benefit the most people. I'm telling you this, so if you read any of his books, you will not make my friend's mistake and assume he was either not especially intelligent or literate. Anyway, it is the wisdom that matters, and Shivananda possessed that fully. I must tell you about my first interview. Amazingly, it was easy to get an appointment to speak with Shivananda privately. The day after I asked for an interview, I went in the late morning to his Kutir by the Ganges. Sitting near him, just the two of us in the whole building, sitting near him brought me such a feeling of well-being and contentment that any questions I might have had evaporated from my mind. So I just sat and looked at him. A very enjoyable experience indeed. After a while, he made a motion that I should speak. So I said the first thing that came to mind. You know, I saw you in a vision in America. 
A mischievous smile like that of a little boy caught in the act appeared on his face. Oh, was his only rejoinder as he kept on smiling. Later, I read in one of his books, I am always traveling throughout the world in my subtle body, and those who are quick, they catch me. Anyway, in this interview, he asked me very seriously, what do you want? And I knew this was not a simple question, that the person sitting before me was capable of granting me anything I might ask. So my answer had better be a good one. But my mind was a blissful blank. Then I heard myself saying, I want to love God so much that even if I fall headfirst down a well, instead of trying to get out, I will just stay there praying, Oh Lord, let me love you more. Uh, the smile on his face was filled with joy. Then in silence, he gazed into my eyes as he just flowed out toward me, waves of light and blessing. I am so glad, I am so glad, he finally said. And so I bowed before him and I left. Several days after this, Stephen had an appointment, and to my delight and gratitude, he asked me if I would like to come along with him. Well, there was no need to think that over. So, following him, I entered Shivananda's Kutir for the second time. Once we were seated, Stephen began plying him with question after question regarding spiritual practice, or actually, really, about mechanical external aids to spiritual practice. Shivananda had written dozens of books, and Stephen had read most of them while in the United States. He scoured used bookstores constantly, and found many. He would go every single week to Samuel Weiser's to search out Shivananda books. Shivananda had written about 300 books, and Stephen estimated he had read about 200 of them. As a result, he had a list of things that were recommended in the books as helps to sadhana. Shivananda had written on every type of yoga and philosophy, so his list of what might legitimately be called spiritual gimmicks was very long. Much to my friend's amazement, every time he mentioned a particular gimmick, Shivanand would wave his hand in a gesture of dismissal, saying, Oh, no. Finally, the list was gone through, and Shivananda had dismissed each recommended practice with the same gestures and, Oh, no. His attitude seemed to say, don't even speak about such nonsense. But all of that so-called nonsense had come out of his own writings and seriously recommended to the readers. As Stephen sat there, stunned and bewildered, the mischievous smile I'd seen before appeared on Shivananda's glowing face. This time he looked like a naughty little boy about to pull a frog or a snake out of his pocket. Then he spoke with measured deliberation, every word vibrating with his joy. Just say God's name. That will do everything. And so we heard from lips that spoke from infinite consciousness, the wondrous truth. Calling on the name of God would end 
in our finding God.